Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman. This is episode 248. Uh, This is a conversation I had with a woman called Nadia Freeman. Uh, She records and performs under the name Miss Leading. She is a Wellington-based performance poet and musician. Um, I met her just a couple of weeks ago at 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 one of the regular open mic nights that's on in Wellington, Poetry in Motion. We were both performing. Uh, I I loved her performance and I thought, man, I've seen you before somewhere. I must have seen you read. But then during the performance, she talked about how she'd been living in Edinburgh and this was her, you know, first time back performing in Wellington and, uh, you know, after several years away. So maybe she's just someone that's familiar to me from other gigs and, and so forth over the years. But uh, this was really our first proper conversation. We had a brief chat that night and um, she mentioned that she had a Fringe Festival show she wanted to plug. And I said, well, come around and have a chat for the podcast because I liked her work and I knew that she had um, put some of the work out there. So uh, under the name Misleading, she's released an EP. Um, mostly it's really, you would call them poems or spoken word performances. She is a songwriter and there is some singing involved in some of what she does, but really she's a spoken word performer with uh, synthesizers and and, and musical backing. Um, And so the show that she's promoting, uh, that this podcast is is promoting as much as anything, is a show that's part of the Fringe Festival. It's a one one show only at the Pyramid Club, March the 11th, 7.30. It's 10 bucks on the door. the, we talk about it a lot in this podcast, so the, the theme is around uh, eating your words and there's, there's little food tasting that goes on and then there's spoken word performances and the music from her. Um, but we had a cool conversation about poetry, about performing, about what it takes and what it takes out of you. Uh, uh, also, because she's just returned from uh, living in Edinburgh, we talk about the experiences watching performance poetry and shows over there, obviously the world-famous Edinburgh Fringe, and then, of course, the impacts of COVID and what brought them, her and her partner back to New Zealand. And, um, yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. I really enjoyed getting to know uh, Nadia, and I like her work. And do go and check out the show. The links to all of this is, are in the notes. Um, this is a conversation with me and Nadia Freeman. So I was thinking, like, I'm trying to work out how to uh, frame this, because we, we don't really know each other at all. We met no. very briefly uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, at the Poetry Emotion Yeah, night. yeah. And um, I, I thought, because I really enjoyed your work, I thought, I've seen you before, but you, that can't be the case, because you've been away. Yeah, I've been in Edinburgh for the last four to five years. So mm. I, did, I did do quite a lot of performances, but mostly with Poetry Emotion before I left. Mm. But you may not have seen Yeah, that. I wouldn't have. I would, yeah. I've only been sort of tagging along to that that on and off for the last couple of years I sort of and I've really enjoyed it it's a great um, regular thing like it's cool it's a great variety of voices but when I met you the other week uh, that night in particular I thought was amazing I thought that was an incredible like the open mic was um, frankly the best one I've been to oh right yeah I mean there's some fantastic poets that night I just thought it was a good run of people Mm -hmm. a good range of things yeah you know obviously not I didn't like not every single thing connect with me because how could it? Yeah, but yeah. no one was terrible. Yeah, and I and I think that's important to say because frankly, open mics offer that offer that option. They, yeah, it's risky. Pe- business. It's risky, and people <laughs> people go up, and everyone has a different idea of of talent and stuff. Um, but I was interested to talk to you. I mean, I know you've got a show to plug, and we'll get into that. But I mm-hmm. I, I liked your work and um, the fact that you've been performing overseas as well as here. I'm interested to sort of know how you got into it all. Yeah, well, it's actually funny. I I was living in Toronto in 2010, and that's when their spoken word poetry scene was just really peaking or mm. taking off. And I was just enamoured with it, um, just here 
poetry that I guess my last contact was within you know high school which being, I, being forced on you <laughs> but first of all, I was enjoying it but I didn't yeah. realize that there was an adult world where people could do it and that it was accessible mm. and that people even who weren't literary greats could enjoy it and that it could be funny and that it could be um really straightforward and, I, and and it was just yeah it was sort of groundbreaking for me and then I started attending all the um poetry events in Wellington and then after a few years got brave enough to say okay I'm going to give this a go mm. into my first slam did did really well with that first poem and then not so well um, as as we went to the next rounds of the slam and then I've never actually attended a slam or yeah. I obviously haven't participated in one I've never even been as a I mean I've watched some many slam poets but I've, yeah. I've seen them in the context of they're announced as someone who's been good at slam poetry but they are a special guest at a night or yeah. or they're an international visiting slam poet who is putting on their own just reading yeah yeah um how do, i mean so it, it, i sort of roughly know so yeah it's basically a elimination thing yeah they're judging art <laughs> and mm. so how do you do it so every every type of slam depending on who they run it do it differently so with poetry in motion they um, they have rounds, you enter, you get judged out of 10 by three judges and um, the highest scoring people go into the next round and then you kind of face it off until the third where you're down to the last mm. three and you have a winner and, um, and then that person will probably go on to compete at maybe a regional or a national or an international um, poetry event. But I've seen them do them different ways. So mm, mm. It, yeah, it's basically a rap battle for poetry. Yeah, <laughs> kind absolutely. Of. <laughs> is, yeah, and I've definitely been to slams where I've had to just literally you were facing off against just one individual yeah, rather yeah. than um, against everybody. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I must try and get to the next one just and just watch. I don't know that I want to. No, I really like getting up and doing stuff, but I don't know that I'm a slam style poet, so I think, I'd, but I would like to go and see it happen. I'll be quite honest though, I really hate participating in yeah, it now. Yeah. I realise it doesn't produce the best performance no, for that's, me. No, that's the yeah. thing. I think yeah. I'm, I, I really admire it, but yeah. to me, and I've been described by a couple of people as a slam poet or a slam style poet, and I think you've been to even less poetry slams than me because <laughs> I'm really that's not my thing like I might have um, a performative aspect and I might have an irreverence about what I'm doing that isn't you know academic poetry mm. but I think slam stuff is a whole other kettle of fish yeah. but I'm interested in it I'm, I'm you know the 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 poets that I've seen that have come from the slam world, I've seen some great stuff yeah so if you want to see a high caliber of poetry yeah, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna see it at slam that's that's where you get it. So were yeah. you always uh, interested in writing and expressing yourself or, or was that sort of lit from that first experience you talk about really? Oh no, no, all through school, yeah. absolutely. Like, Where'd you grow up? I, I grew up in Lower Hutt. Yeah. Yeah. What was happening there? What was happening in Lower Hutt? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What were you into? Oh, what was I doing with my spare mm. time? Um, mm. Yeah, writing a lot of poetry, um, participating in drama and things like that. I was a dancer most most of my spare time so yeah that's what was happening getting into trouble mm. doing things I shouldn't be doing in my spare time mm. as well normal-ish childhood normal-ish especially small town New Zealand yeah, childhood yeah, 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 yeah. so a bit of escapism going on mm. um, and I, I went to three different schools um, mainly to be able to um, be able to do what I wanted to and not be restricted by um, the different subjects that you get yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. and what did you want to go off and do and be Ah, yeah. Well, this is an interesting thing because, so I'm a second generation New Zealander. My mum's an immigrant of Fijian Indian descent, and it, when you're the when you're the child of an immigrant, it's not really. It's about choosing what's most sensible, 
um, and like about you know income security so like yeah I would have loved to have gone off and been a dancer and a writer but those sort of things weren't really something that was appropriate to consider so it was about just getting a degree and a suitable job mm. so I feel like now that I'm in my 30s I'm finally exploring this right so stuff. you've 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 buttoned down yeah <laughs> you know for a bit you've done the thing you've yeah. got a track record of, as yeah. a as a upstanding citizen <laughs> with a bank account and a job yeah and you've clocked some hours exactly and now it's about carrying that on but fitting in the stuff that actually interests you yeah and in some ways i'm unlucky because it means that i i don't have i haven't had to do the hard slog of um poor artist like living on canned beans every day and mm-hmm. um and trying to push through like i've i'm able to reduce my hours and start working on working on art which i love and it's interesting i've recently set up a new network in wellington called the wellington asian musicians network we're just in our second meeting now and it seems like it's a common theme amongst other asian artists that we do tend to come to it later due to pressure from parents and mm. um so it's, the yeah. argument is that they you know, immigrated to build a better life, not just for themselves, but for yeah. their family. So you have to honour that, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's just about reassuring them, like, it's actually going to be okay. Mm-hmm. That I, I, can, I can actually survive doing this as well. Well, I can't, but um, yeah, like yeah. Some, some of the artists that I've met can. And it's just, um, yeah, they just want to know that their children are going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a, a fair enough... Um, complaint or gripe <laughs> for a parent to have I think like, yeah, yeah. You know, I think I mean everyone's excited by the idea of art but no one wants to you know past a point no one wants to be the person that actually survives just off that unless it does mm. actually provide like it's a frightening and yeah. most people that don't actively do it don't know what it can you know the toll it can take and yeah and then and I mean you and I were just talking before I mean mm. you got to think about whether you want it to have to have to produce art to make money because then you kind mm. of push into a position where maybe you're making things you don't want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I, you know, with my, my writing, I got kind of defined as a, as a, as a music writer. I defined myself as that, sure, but also got defined as a person that was churning stuff out. <laughs> and then the churn is really good for you. Like yeah. productivity is yeah. really good, but also being able to step back and go, well, here's a piece I thought about. I didn't just hand this in because someone needed 500 words immediately. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I like to try and do both, but that's it, a constant reminder. Like, I, I always think about how, you know, it was surreal for me when uh, the news came that David Bowie had died. I was walking down the road to return a DVD because I live close enough to a video store still that I want to support it. Mm-hmm. So I'm walking a DVD down the store and the phone rings and it's an editor going, David Bowie just died. Um, where are you? And I, oh, I'm just going out for a walk. I'll be back in 10 minutes. Mm. Um, Cole, when you get back, can you quickly write, you know, 500 words about him? And that, that's as emotional as the conversation got, which is horrible. Yeah. Um, but that's a reality, you know, and, yeah. and, and it was really good. And I was like, yes, I can do that. I came home and it was a pleasure to sit down and try and put 500 words together. For sure. Of course, it's not definitive. I've, you know, yeah. Of course, I've thought about him and his work and listened to him for the five, you know, lots of times in the five years since. But that pressure of being able to sit down is something that you can only deal with if you've had time at the mill, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think about, sorry, my, um, when you're getting to do things, you know, ask, and this is not as nearly as emotional as, um, talking about David Bowie's death, but, um, <laughs> so, uh, end of 2019, I was commissioned to write poetry for a section of Die Hard as part of a Christmas special. <laughs> 
<laughs> so they were like, can you compose? Um, so I, I make music that I sometimes mm. that I sometimes do songs with, but sometimes do poetry with. So yeah, so we were all given a section of Die Hard and had to do a poetic, I guess, reenactment of it. Brilliant. And I did it with, with music. Yeah. And, it, and it was fun, and I actually haven't watched Die Hard before, so it was like good to be able to finally watch it and sit yeah, down yeah. and say, I'm doing work. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't say it was my best work ever because it was something that someone asked me to do and it was within their yeah, constraints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but, so, thing, but things like that are really positive to channel into the overall experience of creativity. To go, yeah. You know, like I remember, you know, years ago getting the first... Um, uh, book that came out of Bill Manhire's writing course at university which had all the exercises in it and having a go at some of them and going well actually I'm terrible at this but mm. but you see why you have to sit down and give yourself exercises because yeah. it creates a, a discipline and then something can come from it you know like when I got into reviewing records I basically I really I probably took the ideas from that creative writing book and applied mm. them to my own reviews and went I'm actually just going to stay up at night and review my record collection. I'm just going to listen to albums and write about them. Because yeah. I was playing in a band. So when I come home on a Saturday or Sunday morning after two kids away, I sort of had three or four days off, you know, to hang out. And I'd made my money for the week. This is back, back in the glory days of covers bands actually paying the rent. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, you know, I just stayed up at night and wrote record reviews. And then I was able to submit them to a few websites in the early days of websites and then eventually get you know taken seriously to review for the paper but I taught myself to do it out of just a, a passion yeah. but also creating that discipline like you're not getting up until you've reviewed five albums wow yeah you know. it does sound awesome though I'd love to do that well yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean there's no it was and, and back then it actually led somewhere but you know I still get emails today from people going I really want to get into writing about music and I was like why are you asking me the internet's out there like Mm. go do it like you know it's cool that you're asking me but at the same time I can't give you an answer because I don't know if you're going to be taken seriously or not because I don't think we need music reviews anymore Mm. you know on the one hand I think we do I'd love (laughs) I'd I'd love people to still want them but the simple fact is you get your information where you want to get it now and the simple fact that you can hear the music first yeah yeah means you make your own mind up you know the reviews used to actually lead you used to actually re- same with book you know you used to read book reviews I guess you still do you used to read book reviews long before you ever got the book they were a teaser that led you towards it yeah 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 mm. so you were do- you were in Toronto that was just yeah for one year on my working holiday visa mm. I guess that's probably what motivated me to move to Edinburgh later because we came home after living in a city of five million amazing art scene mm. and in Wellington just felt like a small pond um also my husband works in events and there wasn't quite enough work so we decided to have another adventure mm. and ended up in Edinburgh and yeah. so you'd, you you know you were, you were writing already but you kind of uh kind of articulated that, that Toronto was where the kind of almost the eureka moment happened around performance and poetry and just yeah. a different style yeah well actually it was the more, modern take I was just a audience member for mm. a really long mm. time just in the same way with music like so you said you recognize me it could be that i was going to three or four gigs a week yeah love of music love of poetry and then it took a long time to get um the motivation to get it but i think all that attendance really helps you sort of i wasn't going to get and step up there until i knew what i had was really good quality mm. i wasn't going to put myself out until i knew i was like this Gosh, is worth sharing yeah. So more people like you. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm, I'm amazed at, you know, and again, that open mic that we were, we both spoke at where we met the other week, I was, I'm, I'm amazed at the younger generation of people that get up and just 
own the whole process so instantly. Like yeah. It just it makes sense to them because I'm the same. I, I know I was writing poems for a lot longer. Before, you know, I never got up and read them for mm. a long, long time. I think I might have. I feel like, I mean, I was asked to read a couple at school for things, at high school, for, for like commissioned by the school to write things to celebrate um, things, events like speeches, but I didn't really count that. And I think maybe at high school I went into see Sam Hunt read and I got up because there was an open mic but that was wow. that, that kind of right. took balls I was about 16 or 17 and and I didn't do it for years after that you know I moved yeah. to Wellington shortly after that and I, I used to just go and watch same yeah. thing just banking the experience of what are these people like and what are they you know what are they actually doing yeah and it's a, a lot of vulnerability in reading out poetry aloud mm. you're really exposing the deepest parts of yourself or trying to even sometimes you've been controversial and um I think you need to see a few other people doing it first before you're going to jump mm. off that bridge line. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I, I've been going to that, that Poetry Emotion one and also the Fringe, um, same venue, Poetry at the Fringe on the Sundays, which is a much older crowd overall. Yeah. I don't and know about that one. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's cool. I th- it's actually this Sunday. Cool. Up. So, oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they same sort of thing, like open mic and then they have a guest. And they sometimes have a musical guests too. Um, but it's definitely a more conservative, older crowd, but major poetry lovers in a, in a pretty good range. Yeah. But I really like the juxtaposition of the two. Yeah. Put it, put it this way, I basically am the youngest at that. And I'm, really? And I'm one of the oldest at the Poetry Emotion one. You know, yeah. I quite like that. Like I'm, yeah. So it's quite an interesting set of experiences. And yeah. I rec- there are a couple of other people I recognise that go to both. Yeah. Um, fairly regularly. but So it's a different... And I would choose different things to read, obviously. Like, I would, I would try and, you know, temper it for the right audience. Yeah, you want to do that, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of interesting. That's what I loved about... That, I think, was, like, what I love about living in Edinburgh and doing poetry and probably why I've become so deep into it. Because they... Even though it's pretty much the same size as Wellington, they have about at least four poetry nights a week and mm. um, I think it's just a reflection of the art scene and the fact they've got three universities there so it's a lot of literary students around but yeah and every night you go to it'll be a different crowd and a different mm. um, I guess um, group and demographic that it's going to attract and that, and with that different types of work coming through and uh, yeah Scotland has its um, you know it has its music scenes that kind of rival the fabled Dunedin flying nun story yeah and it, yeah you know and it has its own little mini Manchester type scene. you know it has mm. these little pockets of things not just a Scottish music scene yeah and it's the same with its literature right you know it has yeah. its, and it has its giant figureheads yeah the huge you know, like history your, behind it so yeah, I think it attracts yeah. people who want to do that into mm. the city and want to be right it's really common to walk around Edinburgh and every fourth person you meet to write yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so yeah which is great because I think it was it probably gave me more confidence to be like oh people write people do this it's a, it's a thing and you can say you're a writer if you do a lot of writing mm, it mm. takes take a while to be able to say I'm a writer even though it's not my job mm. and um and yeah, I think, um, and then and there's just plenty of opportunities to express it. Like, I think I, when I finally decided I want to get good at this, I just put myself into every open mic, which means I got to do 20 shows in a month. Wow. And if you want to get good fast, it's a really yeah. good way to do it. Do you have memories of the first one? Do you remember the first, the very first one you did? Yeah, the Poetry in Motion one. That yeah. I, yeah, it was a huge adrenaline rush. Yeah. I remember doing it and then and just... And it went all right? It was great. It was yeah. just the best thrill I ever had and then just 
that feeling of like complete energy drain immediately yes, afterwards. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then I had a whiskey to relax. And then when I went to my second poem, I, I lost it. Mm. <laughs> so I now know not to have a drink after you've mm. done a performance with all of that adrenaline complimenting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and have you ever had the, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fixated with this little bit with both poets and comedians, because one area where I think it's similar is you can, with poetry, you can totally, I mean, you just prefaced it with the vulnerability, but you can kind of bomb on stage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can yeah. actually read the room wrong, or the or you might argue that the room has read you wrong. Um, yeah. And that can happen, I think, with poetry. Yeah, yeah. It's like cultural context to consider yeah. and yeah. things like that. Um, yeah, and so I'm just trying to think. So I have a, I have a song poem called Sex Pest, um, and it's... It's having a bit of fun, but it's got this underlying thing about talking about sexual assault and rape and consent. And if you've got the wrong audience, yes, it, yeah, yeah. it's going to make people really uncomfortable, or they're not going to gel with you. Um, and but then when the right audience comes along, and they're, it's just the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you suddenly got people singing along and jumping in and telling you that this is what they wanted to hear so you've got you're taking a risk and yeah, you're just yeah. to work that out I'm, i've become better at that yeah 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 i guess again it, it comes to that thing of um do you believe in the material yourself mm. really because like from my experience i i did open mics and um performance poetry opened for some musician friends and and, and collaborated with some of that 20 years ago and I just gave up because I, I, I can remember the exact moment I read. I was asked to go out and read for a poetry day, and I just didn't believe anything I was saying. I just um, didn't believe. And yeah. I'd read some of these things before, and they'd gone well, and they'd meant something to me. But a few years had passed, and I just went, "This is not who I am." Yeah. And so I kept writing, but I didn't really share any of it for you know a decade, and I probably throttled back, which I needed to do, and then the valve has opened up again in the last five years or so mm. and I've really embraced it and just gone with it and now I'm for better or worse I know what I'm trying to do and who I'm trying to be with the stuff yeah you know? and yeah. all of the stuff that's in the book probably dates from the last four or five years only and probably mostly the last two or three years um yeah that's 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 who I, that's a good reflection of who I am and who I want to be and so I've read some of those poems in open mics and they haven't gone very well and I'm quite fine with that. Yeah. And other times I've read them and they've gone very well and that's also great. Yeah, you're going to be comfortable with that too. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I listened to a really great interview with Fleur Adcock on Radio New Zealand Mm. um, recently and she said that she, she just outright refuses to read old poems. She won't read them. She's like... It's not who she is. Yeah, she, she says, that's a, d- a different person. I don't even know who she is. So Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Her, her work is absolutely devastating. Like, hers is some <laughs> of the first poetry I can remember connecting yeah. with on a, at school on a level where I went, fuck, how did a person actually admit this and, and, yeah. and come to this? Like, this yeah. is so raw. Yeah, that's why she's badass. Yeah, yeah. But when you say raw, it's totally polished. Yeah, like the poetry is, yeah. is immaculate, but the, yeah. the mood that she conjures and the story that she brings is so deep. And so, yeah, I mean, exactly. That's why she's one of the best. Yeah. Yeah, but I, you know, just you mentioning her name then, I'm like, man, it gave me chills. I was like, she's a, a, a an absolute sort of early touch point for me of like, mm-hmm. not so much I would love to be able to do that, but I just want to keep reading that and absorbing yeah. that and... Um, you know, just turns you onto the world of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what was happening in Edinburgh? So, all, you know, you started to say, like, you 
you've got these options to, and you're bumping into writers and stuff. What were you doing? So you're working a day job. Yeah, I was working a day job. Um, um, so my background's in health and um, so health and youth. Um, so I was there, I was doing some working in the health sector and then I ended up in the environmental sector near the end. But but yeah, just working the day job and then just gigging all the time, going mm. to any poetry night and then and pushing myself to get better. And I guess if you turn up to enough open mics, people start to like you and then pretty soon yeah, I was remember you recognize you yeah, yeah, yeah so I started getting booked um so getting booked means that you're a guest performer so you might be the, the special guest performer at the end or you yeah. might even get paid um and what was great about that is you start getting longer sets so instead yeah. of that okay I've got to put out the best I can in five minutes you have at least 15 minutes and then you start to build like a relationship with the audience you start to get on their vibe and their wavelength and you get comfortable and it's just a really fulfilling way of performing, mm. which is why I'm really excited about the show on March 11th at the Pyramid Club because it is a whole hour and I do get to take everyone through this journey of mm. this poetry that I've been, I guess, writing for the last few years. Hey man, yeah. you slipped that plug in so expertly. <laughs> so let's, so let's, let's fully explore it. Okay, so right. do the full promo on it. Yeah, so it's called... It's Fringe Festival. Yeah, Fringe Festival. It's my first solo Fringe Festival show. I've performed in a few Fringe Festivals in Edinburgh over the past few years. Mm. Um, and this is called Eat These Words. And the idea is it's all sensory elements. So there'll be visuals. I'll be singing and playing music. I make electronic beats, um, as I mentioned before, and um, and reading poems. So with each piece, there'll be not a meal, just so that people mm. <laughs> understand what they're getting out of their yeah. $10 ticket, is that um, it's a taste a taste to go that's paired with some of the poetry yeah. to, um, I guess, give you a, a sen- uh, just another feeling to have while you're, um, while you're hearing the stories. Mm. What's it called in the amuse bush? Like yeah. A, a yeah. series of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. I'm, I'm really hoping, I, I've never seen anything done like this before, and I haven't done anything like yeah. this before, so it'll be a new experience for, experience for all of us. Yeah, I know um, the um, guys behind um, Verb Festival, Lit Crawl, they do Lomas, their midwinter thing. I, I remember they did a poetry reading that was paired with chocolate. Oh, um, right. So they did do that maybe, I'd get ma- that. Yeah, yeah. maybe last year or the year before. I didn't actually go to it. I wanted to. But, um, yeah, they had three people reading, um, mm. and they had three different types of chocolate because it was all about dark and decadent. And, um, nice. So they had, you know, a, a proper chocolatier that had crafted these Right. Things so so I guess that's slightly similar to what you're talking about, but yeah. but there was yeah an outsider creating things to go with three different um, yeah. readers. So so you've come up with this as your this is really your first Wellington solo show. Yeah, well, no, actually, mm. I did I did a music show um, January last year mm. at Valhalla, mm. um, uh, but this is going to be there wasn't much poetry in that yeah, show, yeah. Um, so this, this will be my first poetry show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Wow, and um, and. So obviously feeling good about it. It's all come together. It's all ready. Cause it's, oh, I'm nervous. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's we have correct. some time to like yeah. finish it. So hopefully it'll be a, it'll be a polished piece by mm. the time. I'm only doing the one show um, because yeah. it's my first. I yeah. want to see how that goes. So just the 11th of March. And um, yeah, the doors open at 7 p.m. And you need to come early just to get your, your food to sit down. And then it will start off at 7.30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what have you seen... And I mean, we'll, we'll plug the show again. But what have you seen in Edinburgh that really blew you away? Oh, so many things. Do yeah. you know? I, I think after going 
attending four fringe um, shows and for those that don't know about Edinburgh Fringe it is literally the fringe program looks like a phone book there's about a thousand shows a day in a, size, a city the size of Wellington it, it basically a pub room closet will suddenly become a theatre um, and so you just it's really hard to pick your shows so and you start to start looking for the weirder the better um, but actually one of the best shows I saw was a New Zealand dance troupe um, mm. now I can't remember the name of the dance mm. troupe but they did a show called Back of the Bus where you got on a double decker bus and they drove around Edinburgh while they danced and as they were dancing they were really uncomfortably interacting with the audience sitting on your lap doing makeup on your face just mm. really involving it with also while doing amazing dance and that was like a I think I told them afterwards that was the fringiest fringe I've ever fringed <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that that would definitely is a highlight for me but I've also seen some incredible poetry shows and um yeah um I think also, also briefs an Auckland, um, Auckland troupe who do I think it's called I think you'd describe it as boylesque um but it's like a circus extravaganza of um men doing incredible dancing and entertainment mm. um so that that was really good too yeah so yeah new zealand and australasia are representing very well at Edinburgh mm, fringe mm. and yeah. how did the music sort of side of it come into for you i mean you mentioned going to lots of gigs and being interested in music but how did the you know have you got did you have a previous background in performing were you in bands was no that... i've had no musical training again yeah. it, i think it comes down to it sort of also just not being encouraged to do that too much growing up but really wanted to so badly and then I actually attended a workshop in Wellington called Misfit Mods um, Introduction to Electronic Music for Women and it just felt like a safe space to maybe try so I went along and um, she had laid out a bunch of different types of machines and one of them was a sequencer and I just thought, oh, yes, I could do this. I could work out how to use this. This feels right. And um, again, kind of sat on it. And then someone told me about the synth store in Deluge, which is yeah, yeah, developed yeah. in Wellington and built in Wellington. And um, It's an amazing... I mean, I've just watched the YouTube tutorials and stuff. Like, yeah. It's an amazing device. And I think it's sort of one of the things that anyone could pick up and make yeah. music with. And every person I see who uses it, uses it completely different. So mm. it's great for me because there's a bank of sounds in there. I can program out what I want, it's all hardware, I, I work on a computer all day, so to not look at a computer after work is very important, um, and so that allowed me to play and discover and figure out what music composition was, and it's, taken, it's been a long process, so when I first started doing it, I was really just making sounds that sounded nice, mm. and then I didn't know how to write songs, so I just started putting poetry with it, it just made sense, and then I started doing music, singing lessons, and over time I've learnt how to write songs, and often my failed poems will end up being turned into songs or I'll mm. recreate a poem that I have that will end up being turned into a piece. So, yeah, but I think that's probably, like, life, the best thing that's ever happened to me. Like, mm. learning how to make music, it's just, it's, I had no idea that that could make me that happy. Mm, mm. Yeah. And I think it's one of the, um, I mean, there's always been interesting people like, you know, Brian Eno is the great example of a guy who calls himself a, a, a deliberate non-musician. But really the last sort of 10 years of the way delivery of music has come is it's opened the playing field for, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're like an ace shredder mm -hmm. or just someone with an idea. If you can realise it, 
Yeah. And then and it makes people ha- it makes you happy first of all I guess. Yeah. Um, and if it makes people happy, if people respond to it or however they're supposed to emotionally respond to it, then it's valid. And that didn't used to always seem to be the way. Like it, it felt like there was this tiered structure. Oh yeah, I definitely felt like I was cheating when I yeah. first started doing it, and I, I just talked to a lot of people to for I got reassured that I wasn't cheating. I was still making it. I just didn't have the theoretical background behind mm-hmm. me and in some ways it means that what I'm, what I've been told is that it doesn't really sound like what other people make because it, I don't follow the rules and structure yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean you know you go back to that classic um, you know idea of Miles Davis's which was you know there are no there are no um, wrong notes you just oh, right, yeah, when, yeah. He would, when he would play a, a wrong note he would just play it again and play it again yeah. And play it again and then change the key but play the similar structure so that his mistake just actually became something no one else had ever heard or thought to do or play again. Yeah. And he was a guy who was proficient on his instrument. Yeah. But he wasn't as proficient on his instrument as, you know, some of the people that had come before him, Louis right. Armstrong and Dizzy Gillespie and so forth. He was a beginner trumpeter compared to them. Right. But he became way more important because he showed how expansive the repertoire can be, you know, and he moved from playing, like, lush acoustic ballads to full, you know, early electronic stuff and freeform funk, all with this instrument that he just decided, I'm going to do what I want with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually listened to another interview about, like, oh, I wish I could remember the musician who was talking about it, but they were playing with Miles, and they said that they messed it up and they played a wrong note and they were thinking this is going to go terribly. I'm going to get fired. And, <laughs> and then sure enough, Miles just went with it yeah. and just made it part of the composition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there's that great, um, you can watch the whole thing on YouTube, but um, there's, a, there's a great performance he does that's like half hour long with this giant big band, you know, and it's got several big name people in it that are just part of Miles' band. Mm. And um, they ask him what the name of the song is, and he just mumbles into the microphone, "Call it what you like," and that's what it's that's what it got called oh, right. <laughs> because because he just afterwards when it was released on an album, it was just like I'm not titling that. It's just it just exists in that moment. Call it what you like. I don't care. It's yeah. not about a fancy title. Yeah. It's about this piece of music we're making, and that's pretty cool. Like so, he you know he he became I think a pretty important um, figure for that sort of stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah, and then what about so what you know making it's one thing, but as a as a non-musician, say, uh, is it nerve-wracking to step up and perform the first time or two? Or maybe yeah. even still, I don't know. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. You're talking about levels of imposter syndrome, which which everyone faces. Been people of people who go and punch a, a desk in the face for a job, and uh, and and a computer feel imposter syndrome, or are made to feel that by other people, aren't they? So it isn't just creatives. No, no. Yeah, I think. The first time I, yeah, the first time I sang in public was terrifying, but thankfully I had a really amazing teacher, Elena Dana, who, um, she's a, uh, so I decided to do jazz vocal training because I thought it would be more fun. Mm. And it is because it's sort of more using your voice as an instrument. Mm, mm. And um, she, her part of the lesson was like, she's like, you are going to perform with all the other students in this bar um, at the end of this term. And it just sort of meant that I had to do it, otherwise I probably wouldn't have. Mm. Um, and so you, I got up and I was, one of the worst <laughs> when I got up there, um, just really quiet and shy, um, really. Um, to, but thankfully, it was in a room full of my peers who were also learning, so it was a safe space to do mm. it. I did that a couple times before I decided to commit to once I'd. F- but then eventually, I started making music and I had suddenly enough to make an EP. 
And I thought, well, this just can't live here. I'm a performer by nature. This needs to be done. So I, um, I ran an EP release party, um, invited all of my friends and family, which is always the worst thing to do when yeah, you're yeah. trying to... It's much better in a room full of strangers and performed it. And I, my, I guess my way, I just overcompensate by over-practicing. I will just practice and practice until I'm confident that I'm not going to freeze on stage. So, mm, mm. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... I mean, I, I think poetry and jazz are two things that I've always linked together anyway, too. So, yeah, you yeah. know, I think for, for many reasons. And isn't and it great it, when it goes together? I yeah, can't do that t- yet, no, but that totally. is cool. Yeah. But, but for many reasons, I mean, it's not just a cliche, but also I was thinking right at the start when you were talking about poetry being like suddenly very accessible to you and, you know, having this eureka moment watching it is... You know, I feel like that's the same thing with jazz. A lot of people who think they don't like jazz get yeah. taken to a performance where jazz really lives and breathes. Mm. But if they haven't seen a performance, they just think they're listening to... They're going to be bored by some boring old white guy like me telling them they should like something that's on the <laughs> record. And yeah. and maybe they should, but they don't have to. But yeah. in a performance, they don't have any of that baggage. And there's the, the, the structure of poetry and jazz is similar and also the reliance on improvisation, you know. Yeah, and the and the 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 mood shifts and yeah, the rhythm, everything. Like, and you're right. Like, great poetry and jazz go together as yeah. quite a phenomenon. It's funny what you said about improvisation. It's the first time I've heard anyone talk about that, and it's true. Like, I think one of the things that you get good at when you start performing is being okay with the mistakes and just yeah. Like, mm. I'll probably make a mistake every performance now, mm. but I know to work around it and throw in a few words and just to keep going, and it's no longer the worst thing yeah 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 and, and a couple of times it's happened and I've ended up changing I've it I've got um, yeah. when when my book was getting um, finished they made one copy of it obviously a proof copy to look through a final proof copy and we were looking through it and the editor the publisher had marked up some extra changes and then she said at the end would you like this you know would you like to have this copy and I said yeah that'll be my reading copy because then I can read them how how I originally planned them and ignore <laughs> all of your edits, which is kind of, and it's kind of true. Like mm. they did a great job, Cuba Press, both Paul and Mary did a great job of making the poems look better on the page and and adhere to a bit more structure. Yeah. But because many of them are really conversational, really dialogue story driven, um, the way I had written them first and presented them, in some cases there are words you probably shouldn't use and print and styles that do work yeah and um and that's sort of more more written in my verbal delivery yeah and so i can it's quite good having that copy yeah. and i've got all the notes in the margin telling me what not to do that i get to ignore yeah and yeah. read it's quite a funny and so the book exists for me in two documents there's the the proper copy and there's my secret copy and my secret copy is is really good for reading out of yeah yeah well i mean that's the thing that we talk about in poetry is it there's page uh, there's page and there's, there's performance. Yeah, and, page and stage, yeah. Yeah, and so I've now started writing two versions of some of my poems. Yeah. And they're very, very different because sometimes what looks great on page, it's a bit flat when you perform yep. it. And yep. likewise, things that read well and really resonate with people on a look, mm. I don't know, almost like just a bit crude mm. on when you're reading them off a page. So Yeah, it might be interesting yeah. for you too because you are writing now... Uh, for an instrument and yeah you know totally as, as songs say and if not as songs then as recorded spoken word like as a yeah so you're actually 
writing like a songwriter might and you know the best lyrics in the world don't always make don't, often don't make the best poetry sometimes they do but often yeah. they don't you know, yeah read books of lyrics all it is is a reminder of a nice song it's not a great poem no no and I, that's that's the realization of like you've just well now i've learned how to write, write songs it's about you strip it back you strip back a lot of the detail mm. and you let some of the music speak for what you're trying to say or you accept that they might not understand what you're going to say mm. in your song and but you're, you're stripping back to a lot less words a lot more space and um focusing on the way things sound and i mm. think sound is really important and that's less rather than articulating everything exactly mm. yeah. yeah yeah and you learn that with um repeat performances and different audiences and in different contexts of performing don't you like you kind of get new cadences you mm, get I've, yeah. found, I've definitely found that you start to even pronounce a word a particular way because you know it flies yeah that way yeah yeah and it might not actually be correct or you time or just your timing you know your delay your your, your rhythm your yeah des- your decisions around when you actually when and how you phrase becomes yeah. all becomes really important. And when to wait and pause and bring things and let people digest things. Yeah. It also comes out in the layout of if you're doing a long set and knowing the order because um, some of my stuff is brutal and very mm. emotional and I, mm. you just can't slam an audience with that much misery. <laughs> you have to lighten the load a bit occasionally yeah. and bring them through that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I, have, I think I've, I've started to feel... Um, some version of the opposite of that where they can't all be jokes you know like the carnal you can't just keep sort of being like a little bit flippant and ironic about things you have to hit people with something a little bit serious so I'm kind of really trying in my short sets to do that like have something that's a bit tongue-in-cheek but then have something that's a little bit hard-hitting or a little bit more impactful yeah. Um, which is just like devising a song, a set list for a concert, for a band, you know. Absolutely. Like the, you, you the know, party the, track and then you have yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that soft, the, slow song. Yeah, and the, yeah, 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 the ballad, the one they go to the bar for a drink, <laughs> whatever, yeah. whatever it is. But you do you do feel those, yeah, those movements with it, definitely. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I found all that really interesting. But, you, you know, one thing I just realised then that's really funny is I have, about myself, is I have these... I can't stand watching people who just get up and read the poem exactly as it's written. Um, I have to be more conversational. I have to have some banter and I have to improvise Mm -hmm. a little bit around it. Yet I also have to read. I won't go off book. I have to have a piece of paper in front of me. And it's not that I don't trust myself to commit things to memory. I just don't want to. And yep. that's kind of quite odd because everything I'm detailing would suggest, oh, you're just getting ready to go off book. You should actually commit your poems to memory and perform them. But I think it's just I don't see myself as a an actor, as a performer. So I want that I want that uh, little tiny barrier between me and the audience, that little prop. Yeah, I think it's a real personal choice thing. Yeah. Um, I actually commit to memory because yeah. I am, I'm quite nervous reading. So if I'm reading, I'm holding something in my hand, I'm probably going to mm. shake. Um, and I might trip up over lose my place. Yeah. So if I memorise it, it's actually a safer space. So that's why I do it. Yeah, and that's then, interesting. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm always amazed by people who can and do memorise because obviously I could recite a few of mine, um, mm. especially shorter ones. But I, even those, I don't. I decide that I want to mark it with the thing. But not at all saying that's correct. I'm always and I'm always amazed by people that can. Yeah, yeah, and it's just a, it's a choice. And I know I know some who can read. People, poets who just say that they they want to look the audience in the eye 
Mm. and they can't do that if they're reading so that's why they do it so mm. i mean it's each their own and others are sort of saying other poets i've met say look i'm just going to get so nervous about trying to remember everything i won't do a good performance so it's better that i read so i think it's just what gives you the best delivery mm. yeah um do you want to read something for me now for people to hear when they hear or, or say something <laughs> for people when they when they hear this um podcast because i've always found this really interesting i've had people read poems to me one-on-one several times over the life of this podcast and it's an interesting experience yeah yeah i'm gonna i'll read you read you this poem i actually do know what i've heart, but i'm gonna read it anyway just because mm. i can and no one can see me mm. so it's called not my fight we fight through keyboard loaded outrage pontificated by angry faced emojis heroic and declaration against news headlines We fight with one-fingered salutes as directions are expelled with expletives from car windows permitting us to return to places we have never been. We fight by shielding ourselves with bare hands when young delinquents express their shared injustice through curled fists on our skin. We fight with smiles and please consider me in the future, presenting decades of experience with multiple degrees to white faces from other places who say they want local experience. We fight by looking to sanctuaries past this battle, leaving behind welcome mat, worn out from being walked over, in the hope of finding a home worth fighting for. Mm. That's great. I love I love the experience of being an audience of one for a poem. <laughs> I never get sick of it. It's quite an amazing um, position of privilege to be in doing this because because when this when people hear this they're the audience yeah but right right now as we're speaking i was the only audience for that yeah that was really weird for me yeah (laughs) no no, i bet it was but actually you weren't you know in theory you were your audience was this recording machine yeah this is who you were talking to (laughs) yeah but it's yeah it's i mean i still remember the very first time i asked someone to read a poem to me for a podcast it was the um fourth or fifth podcast I'd done only I think it was the fourth it was Honey Moana Baker and um yeah it was just such an experience to sit and be this close together with no one else in the room reading a poem it's quite a (laughs) it's it's deeper than when you you know you as a writer you have that early on at least you have that one friend that you go hey would you mind hearing this yeah yeah can I read you something I wrote and you, you get those and you get maybe two or three of those people yeah and yeah. you know and you maybe you alternate them or you wear one out <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's pretty much how it yeah, works. yeah yeah they move away yeah <laughs> and then you find someone else so but this, it's a slightly yeah no that's cool and so how um how often are you writing um this year has been really unproductive for writing mm. um we i it was actually big, so about this time last year i had um about tons of gigs booked was going to do a tour, had a few festivals I was going to do in the Netherlands and Scotland and places, and then lockdown happened and all the gigs were cancelled. So suddenly you don't have anything that you're writing for, which does impact on how much mm. you write. Mm. And then, um, and it's funny because people sort of talked about all this excess time they would have to be creative, and I just found it impossible. Mm. Well, one, I was still working what became a very stressful job in, in lockdown, but, and I just without that interaction with day-to-day life for such a long time I just didn't have anything to inspire me to write if I know when I write it's probably a reaction to things that happen and there was nothing to react against except nothingness so I think I write 
wrote one poem and that's about lockdown um and it's yeah it was a bit of a stale year for creativity mm-hmm. um yeah uh so I'm hoping that this year will be a bit better but I would say um, my poems take a while mm. I might spend weeks on one poem and I, I know some people said how many do you get out a day or I just think because it, it's so short it, it seems like not much work but every word might have a double meaning and you mm. think about the structure and you think about the lines and you think and often I'll start off with maybe two pages worth of ideas that I want to try to compact into two paragraphs so it, it takes a while yeah. yeah every now and then I'll write a short one that will drop out really quickly but I would say as a rule of thumb for me the shorter the poem the longer it takes to yeah you know, those are the ones you're chiseling away at you're, yeah absolutely but, yeah yeah they're yeah. the ones you're spending more time finessing because you got fewer words so you, they need to count yeah yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly how it works so so yeah I haven't I hope this year will be a better year for writing yeah. so the decision to return was COVID based and you know apart from it being a stressful time you you were probably fraught with the decisions around that as well around how to actually um instigate all of that yeah it was we were kind of hanging on initially i thought oh i'm not going to go new zealand's in lockdown too there's no need um let's just wait this out and see what happens and then as we went further on the realities of the impact it was going to have so my husband works in the event sector so it became clear that he wasn't going to be out of work for six months. It was probably going to be a few years because mm. even once lockdown pressures ease, the amount of businesses going out of business um, are increasing. Then And then also the realisation as I saw a few of my friends lose parents and not be able to be there for them made me realise I wanted to be home closer to my parents who are um, one of whom is like very frail and, um, and older. So when I talk a lot, about him and the show actually so yeah that's that's what I guess finally pushed the decision to come home and I'm glad I did Mm. yeah Mm. so um, I'm glad to be here and close to my family um but I'm sort of it is a very strange feeling to return home when when you weren't planning to and to to miss miss your other home but know that it doesn't actually it almost doesn't exist anymore yeah 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 Yeah, I found it interesting because I I mean you, you said this here but when you got up on stage the other week and you talked about um how good poetry and motion was but how you know in edinburgh there were three or four of those a week yeah and and, you know can we can we get more and i thought actually wellington and i think a few people answered this too like wellington's doing pretty well considering for things like that but but you know your what you were used to and what you'd like to see is is still a nice aspiration like yeah totally but i i i'm i found myself in auckland at the start of this year when they had an open mic and it's a really um long-running open mic and okay it was the holidays and it was their first time back so some people would have missed it but it wasn't a patch on the ones that have been to in wellington oh. it wasn't anywhere near as good oh. the standard was cool. much lower and the turnout was lower yeah and um the vibe in the room was weaker as a result mm-hmm. and i think those wellington ones that i've been going to semi-regularly over the last couple of years are mm. uh, always a good night oh yeah and i'm definitely a fan of quality over quantity for oh, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah um yeah i mean it would be nice to see more but yeah, um, yeah but yeah. I, there was also some i when i've been googling amount there's actually more going on than i realized that like you just mentioned yeah. the fringe on yeah. sundays and yeah, i didn't yeah, know yeah. about that so that's that's cool to know that there is a bit more happening than i thought and i still remember when i left the poetry at the time i felt like poetry emotion were the only people doing um 
spoken word shows in the city and that was once a month and I remember there were just hundreds of people trying to pack and I remember mm. there was a fight one night in the middle of a slam because people couldn't see and hear wow. I mean yeah. you know poetry's getting popular when people are fighting <laughs> at the shows <laughs> definitely not something whereas I guess the attendance for most poetry in Edinburgh will be a little bit less you're looking at mm. more 20 to 30 people in attendance spread across a lot of shows with the exception of but then an interesting variety for instance there's a collaborative called Loud Poets and they don't do open mics, they only do curated nights mm. where you get four poets, they've been selected and you know if you go, you're paying a bit more, they're going to pack out 150 theatre theatre, and it's every, it's going to be excellent mm. so, and that's kind of and it's kind of nice that they have this these nights for beginners who get to cut their teeth, they have nights for, um, for experienced poets to kind of get acknowledged as professionals in their in the area and then even unusual things in the middle like there's a there used to be one called the goddamn debut slam which was for people to test out new material so you'd have exceptionally like um so at the time the world slam champion um was living in glasgow and he would come and test out new material mm. and at the same time it might be a student and writing writing their first poem also attending that night mm. so th- those were exciting too mm. yeah um and does good old-fashioned um publishing a book poetry interest you or are you more in the album multimedia show space now do you think it's been an interesting evolution so when I first started I was sort of saying I'm not going to pu- publish a book I don't really enjoy reading poetry I love the performance mm. things the only thing that affects me so why would I ask people to read my book mm. but as I've developed and started learning to read and appreciate more um I've been submitting my poetry to be published I've had um I haven't had much success I had a couple I've been a regular writer for an online platform called Mixogyny, um, which is about um, gender and sexuality, and I've um, had a couple published this just recently. Um, but I've decided to self-publish um, some pamphlets, I guess. So like, yeah, it's yeah. just like a very like tw- a collection of twenty poems that I'm just going to sell on the cool. night and give yeah, to family yeah, and yeah. friends. Little chapbook sort of style. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, no grand um, ideas yet of a whole book. I think because. Mm. It's like you were talking about as you as you start writing a lot, you, you need a lot of poems to write a book. And I might look at stuff from five years ago. Oh, I don't like that anymore. So mm. I start having my my collection always seems to be about twenty poems that I'm okay with other it's, people seeing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fascinating because like my book came out in October, so it's just new. It's mm. still pretty new, and I I'm experiencing a second wave with it already. In that because I did some readings on. Um, for Facebook pages and YouTube channels and things, and I did some actual public readings around it. Um, I got really bored with it really quickly because because <laughs> I've been you know because I've been reading them and editing them and oh, shaping yeah. them. Yeah. So you've got to turn up and go, hey, here's my book. You know, I hope you like it. I like it, and I do like it. But I got really bored with it really quickly. And then the best thing that happened was having a Christmas break and just chilling the fuck out and I, I feel <laughs> yeah. you know I did a reading um last week with uh four other people from the same publisher and I felt um newly enthused about well this is my work yeah and I included really I mean great, I included yeah. some new things I didn't just read from the book because I think that's a healthy thing to do too the idea that poems are always in conversation with themselves and so you read them in different orders with different new things yeah and I think it was um Philip Larkin that said that you know, if you publish 44 poems in a book, then the 45th poem is the whole book. 
like it becomes your you know how oh. many which okay. is quite cool you yeah know? that's interesting or, or would apply to albums too like if there are 12 songs on the album and the 13th song is the whole album like i quite like that idea that oh. taken as a whole it, it's not only just a collection it's its own one thing yeah yeah oh, so right. i'm thinking about that a little bit and going well yeah so for better or worse these poems live together now yeah but they also can have their own life excepted <laughs> yeah. you know yeah, re- yeah, replaced. Yeah, I'm experiencing the same thing. I'm working on my album. Yeah. Although I'm, I'm fighting. I wanted to get to ten songs, and that the last song's really fighting to make its way <laughs> out, which is why the album keeps getting delayed. Yeah. So hopefully we'll get there soon. Yeah. yeah. Um. Do you want to read something else? Have you got yeah. another thing? Yeah, I'll read you this poem because we're talking about yeah. long and short form. Mm. So I'm gonna read the short version of this at my show on the 11th of March, but um, this is the longer version that mm. won't be read. So. Um, to give you some background to the poem, so my dad had a stroke about six years ago, and uh, oh, actually, and he also has, um, I guess it's it's a disease that's similar to MS. So he, he he's very immobile, and um, his feet um, have no circulation. So it's called cold feet. I know that ice is not blue, translucent and reflective. It cannot hold the hue of blueberries, now decaying on the shelf. Ice slips, sticks and stings, reminds me of your fall, the pomegranate ruby seeds spilt and stained on the wall. Ice is a lie like royal blood. Blue is not the sigh of frost on skin, it hides in the notes of lonely jazz, a flat fifth of a progression. Ice has no colour, no sound or taste, it is not dark or loud or sweet, it is only cold, like your blue marbled feet, that do not run or dance or stand. Attempt to rub out the blue, gently massage with warm hands until your flesh is pink and new. How does that feel, I ask? As I replace your shoe, your skin betrays an indigo ink. They feel like ice, you say. Mm. So you've rewritten that in a shorter... It's about six lines and Mm. probably doesn't really tell the story in the same way. But it sounds, it's got a really nice kind of sound to it. Mm, yeah. Mm, mm. yeah. Um, should we do a final plug for the show? Repeat everything? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, please come to my show. It's called Eat These Words, and it's with the Wellington Fringe Festival on March the 11th at the Pyramid Club. Doors open at 7pm. Tickets are $10 or $8 for concessions, $7 if you're a Fringe Festival addict. And... Yeah, it's going to be something that you probably haven't seen before. And don't have dinner beforehand. Please have dinner beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> you find the word love to be cheap, so you choose not to use it. Instead, you offer sacrifice, patience, reliability. It's a price that others would find too steep because to you, expressing how you feel is best done without emotion. And although you and I like to talk too much, we know the strongest words are the ones we leave unspoken. But I'm no longer three years old, wrapped up in your arms. I'm well over 30, and all I can see are the harms of some bad decisions along with that inevitable suffering of age that we can do little to prevent.
those thoughts of me to days gone by. Childhood mischief, racing cars, drumming out a kick-ass rhythm at a live show. But what can I do for you now? I could cook you dinner, read you the paper, but if we're fair, you wish I'd just leave you be, that we both know, but it is hard to watch the nothing that life can become, to see everything you worked for, or your talent and knowledge come undone. Last punch into my depleting heart when you pat my hand and say, 